Hello and welcome to Culture Exchange, a podcast at the intersection of the humanities and cultural diplomacy. I'm your host, Terry Harvey, Vice President of the Meridian Center for Cultural Diplomacy. This podcast series explores the impact of the arts and culture on diplomatic relations across the world through discussions with cultural diplomacy experts. On this episode of Culture Exchange, we're talking about the Museums Connect initiative with our guest, Richard J.W. Harker. Museums Connect is a joint initiative between the U.S. Department of State's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs and the American Alliance of Museums that partners with museums in the United States with museums abroad to help foster cross-cultural engagement and exchange. Mr. Harker is an expert in cultural diplomacy and transnational museum partnerships and the author of Museum Diplomacy, Transnational Public History in the U.S. Department of State. In this publication, Harker discusses the role this program plays in connecting transnational public history and international diplomacy. Well, I'm really pleased to have you here, Dr. Harker. I I think our audience is going to gain much from this conversation, really diving into the importance of the Museum Connect program. I know this is near and dear to your heart, having authored that publication, but uh, why don't we just dive in? I'd I'd love to get you to tell us a little bit more about the Museum Connect program for audience members who are unfamiliar with it, and really how your interest and involvement began in this program. Absolutely. And first, thanks for having me. You know, Museums Connect was a program of the State Department and the American Alliance of Museums. It ran from 2008 through 2017. And really, this expansive museum and community collaboration program that sort of partnered American museums with their communities, but also with a museum in another country and their community. So really sort of expansive and elaborate, but really... um, you know, the thing to think about with Museums Connect is it came out of the International Partnership Amongst Museums, IPAM, which was a 30-year-old program that partnered scholars in museums with one another. So you'd have a, a American curator going abroad and partnering with a, a curator or, or someone else at another museum around the world. And there was this moment in this sort of early 2000s, sort of post 9-11 reckoning of how do we make these programs more expansive? How do we expand their impact? And Museums Connect was born, and it was originally called Museums and Community Collaborations Abroad, but was changed its name in, I think, think about 2011 to Museums Connect. And like I said, it was funded by the Department of State's Education and Cultural Affairs Bureau, but was administered by the American Alliance of Museums, which is the big national governing sort of body of, of American museums, professional organization. And really created this program that was at this fascinating intersection between public diplomacy and museum work. And so, you know, over the course of the program, you had dozens of projects where museums were looking to sort of solve local and also global problems simultaneously and partner in with their communities, but also these global communities. And it's really, you know, the the different projects range from science museums and history museums and art museums, to zoos, to botanical gardens, and really the the range of problems these projects addressed were expansive as well. And so, you know, you've got everything from the examples I write about in the book. You've got race relations and and apartheid in the history of Jim Crow in America. You've got Muslim identity. You've got war-torn Afghanistan. Um, But then you've got examples of, you know, nuclear testing of a lot of youth empowerment programming. And so really a sort of expansive program, but at the very core of it is this idea of 
museums and their communities being sort of conduits to have conversations that bring people together, that build relationships and that sort of provide local benefit, but provide these sort of international global benefits as well. So it's been a fun program to research, but also to be a part of. And, and my connection here goes back to 2011 when I moved to the United States. I came from England and had my first job um, here at the Museum of History and Holocaust Education at Kennesaw State University, which is about 25 miles north of Atlanta. And the museum was actually just in the middle of or in the middle of its first Museums Connect grant and was was about to get its second as I started in the summer of 2011. So we were partnering with the museum in Casablanca, the Bimsi Community Museum, and we're in this these projects where we were exploring sort of Muslim identity, both in Casablanca, in this working class community, and then also sort of what does that mean in the American South, in Georgia, in Atlanta, with um, sort of a totally different local context for that work. And so, you know, that was one of the first things I worked on in my job. And um, I spent a year with my colleagues living and breathing this program and working with our, our colleagues, our friends in, in Morocco, what a pleasure to do that work. This was 2011 before before the world of Zoom was normalized. So we were still on broken internet connections and Skype and Facebook groups and all that good stuff. But we had we had a, an amazing time working with them and developing an online exhibition. And it was it was a wonderful project, but it also in hindsight wasn't without sort of challenges and problems and, and issues of power and you know all of the things that come from a program that is as expansive as museums connect. And so this all led me to my to my sort of personal fascination with the project and um, ultimately led me to write uh, Museum Diplomacy. Yeah, that's incredible. And I guess in essence, I mean, the Museum Connect program is really intended to break down these museum silos and to make sure that, you know, like-minded institutions around the world are also working on similar initiatives and that we should share resources and scholarship and thus making both institutions rise above and be stronger and better for it. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think... Uh, uh, you know, but I, but I'd also say sort of one of the one of the rubs here, or one of the challenges, is when the programs or the projects that museums embark upon aren't really core to their central mission. So, mm -hmm. um, throughout my research, there was all all sorts of examples of of museums who, you know, they had the opportunity to get these these international programs that you know these shiny objects, this incredible work. And inevitably, in all of these cases, the public diplomacy, the cultural diplomacy was tremendously successful. It built these incredible bonds and these relationships and these friendships. It sort of broke down stereotypes, it, you know, all the things that we would hope a program like this would do. But the museum impact on the, on the museums themselves, on their community relationships were often a little bit more varied. And I think, you know, where we saw museums that had, um, you know, programs with their international partners, which were very close and similar to their, their core mission work, um, the programs were incredibly successful. And where we had programs where it was maybe a little bit further afield, the moment that that funding and the grant ended, you know, the sustainability of the programs often sort of fell away a little bit. And so this is sort of one of, one of these things we think about as we think about sustainability in museums and, and the work we do, which is how can we make them, you know, more than just the one-off gesture, more than just the one-year program. And that's, that's something that I know a lot of people who I spoke to through my research 
really wrestled with as they went through these programs, which is how do you make it something more than just kind of the one year grant funded program? That's so critical too. We all know that our, our supporters, in this case, the Department of State, certainly wants to see it live beyond the lifespan of the, of the actual project. Uh, you've given a, a couple of good examples anecdotally, but I wonder if there's one that also sticks out as a successful example of cultural diplomacy. Absolutely. Well, and I think when we think about what successful cultural diplomacy means in, for this program, and, and maybe sort of more broadly than even just this program, I was reminded of one, one Department of State employee I spoke to along the way who said, you know, this is about building relationships, it's about building affinity, and in some ways it's about giving you the benefit of the doubt. So you're building a class of people abroad who are maybe given the United States the benefit of the doubt because they've had this prolonged deep experience where they've got to overcome stereotypes and see past the stereotypes and get to know people in more human ways. And so I think all three of the programs that I write about in the book sort of demonstrate the great affinity that happens. And I think humans want to connect. They want to build relationships. And so, you know, you have a program that's focused on young people and you put 15 young people from Atlanta, Georgia or Kennesaw, Georgia, you know, in a room with compatriots from Casablanca and and those young people are going to have a good time and they're going to bond about music and movie and sports and all the things that people connect about food and, and culture. But there's sort of two specific examples that I that I think of as sort of you know, the best demonstration or, or sort of interesting demonstrations of cultural diplomacy at work in the Museums Connect program. The first is I write about this partnership between the National Constitution Center in Philly and the National Museum of Afghanistan in Kabul. And there are two schools that they work with. One is the Constitution High School, which is a school affiliated with the National Constitution Center in Philadelphia. But the other is Marafat High School in Kabul. And um, they have this incredible uh, partnership and this is 2008 2009 and you know the war is is raging but these afghan students these hazara students from afghanistan come to philadelphia and as part of their visits they're working on an exhibition with their their american um, student friends but they also go to a local media and sort of uh, meet with the, the local news anchor and they really turn the table on the news anchor and they're saying why why do you always call us students from water in afghanistan why why don't you talk about more about who we are or our culture or our, our differences, our ethnic differences. And um, they sort of, as it was told to me, they get to the point where the anchor sort of is forced to cry uncle and say, you know, I'm wrong. I, we, we're oversimplifying this in our in our media narratives. And I just, I just sort of love this image of these students sort of uh, bringing it to a news anchor and, and saying, you know, you're too simple. You're oversimplifying what our story is. And so that was one example. And then the other example that struck me very poignantly was I write about the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute in Birmingham, Alabama, and the partnership that they have with the Apartheid Museum and the Nelson Mandela House um, in Johannesburg in South Africa. The students from, from Birmingham who are sort of affiliated with the program and some of the staff from the museum travel to Johannesburg, and they just have this transformative experience where they are going from the United States with its complex racial past and sort of, uh, you know, lack of reckoning with, with its racial past in some sense. And, you know, they go to post-apartheid South Africa and have this really sort of, you know, profound experience suddenly being in, in the racial majority, while also in cases, as it was told to me, sort of realizing that Africa is more than just 
elephants in deserts, but that, you know, it's a living, breathing infrastructure of its own. And so we have all these incredible stories of stereotypes being undone and seen past and, you know, sort of nuance and, and rich discussion happening. And in all of the cases that I write about, everybody said, you know, aside from the sort of museum project element of things, the relationships and the cultural diplomacy was absolutely the sort of success of the of this program. What's fun about this program is that th this is not theoretical. I mean, this is real grassroots diplomacy. You've got people traveling to South Africa, seeing it firsthand. You know, in terms of impact diplomatic ties with other countries, you know, soft power can be tricky to put in quantitative terms exactly what this is doing to advance U.S.'s foreign policy objectives abroad. You know, it's something that we also face in terms of what we do, but we know firsthand, like you said, with the the young children from Atlanta going to uh, Casablanca, you know, that's where you're kind of shaping the hearts and minds, the future hearts and minds, right? So I wonder if you could say how this project has enhanced U.S. diplomatic ties uh, with other countries. Well, I mean, I think it's exactly, it's exactly right. It's the, it's the hearts and minds. And personally, traveling to Morocco with our students, and for me to have a more complete nuanced sense of who is a Moroccan and, and what's yeah. that what's their life like is that now when I read about Morocco in the news or hear about it on TV I, I have a different perspective than I would otherwise and I think that's true of our students many of whom had never been out of the country I mean you know especially how few people travel internationally um, you know the chance to the chance to go and and see it, you know, be in a, a Muslim country for seven or 10 days and have those cultural experiences and, and build those relationships and those friendships. It's, it's really profound. As you said, the challenge here is sort of how does soft power sort of shape foreign policy and sort of diplomatic ties when there are so many other things, you know, whether it's corporate identity or whether it's hard power or all of, you know, national politics, all of these things that sort of also contribute. But I, I was struck in my research about in this post-Cold War 1990s, the complacency that sets in, in in American cultural diplomacy and sort of the lack of funding, the sense of we've won the Cold War, you know, everything's good. And if you think about programs like Museums Connect, it's all part of what Hillary Clinton called that sort of that game of multi-dimensional chess you know there's just it's one piece of a much larger puzzle um but if as much funding was spent on cultural diplomacy programs as the military you can imagine the impact it would have and the scale of the impact would be so much more expensive but certainly i know that there are students in Afghanistan, there are students in South Africa and, and Morocco and all the other countries that had these partnerships with Museums Connect, who, as they ascend into their adulthood and their, you know, their lives, and hopefully some of them will end up in influential positions, you know, their, their view of the United States is, is going to be a little bit more nuanced and richer and generous than perhaps not having had that experience. So that, and that's not nothing. Yeah. And I, I agree wholeheartedly. And I remember uh, Secretary Clinton's remarks uh, on that evening, watching her uh, say that being in this work, I was so proud to see our government leaders really lean in hard on, on soft power initiatives. You know, you're right. After the cold war, I feel like the U S kind of took their, their foot off the gas pedal a, a bit, right. Uh, with USIA uh, no longer around and 
that was unfortunate. But I do feel like the tides have turned where the State Department has really leaned in heavily into cultural diplomacy initiatives, certainly through their funding, but also through their innovative uh, programming. Um, I wonder if we could shift gears a bit. You made a point uh, just in terms earlier about you know addressing local and global issues. I wonder if you could speak to sort of what makes museums uniquely positioned to address both local and global issues during these exchanges. You know, I think museums do have a unique way that they can play a role in, in cultural diplomacy and have been, by the way, for 70, 80, 90 years. I mean, museums sending exhibitions abroad in the Cold War. I mean, Museums Connect is not the first cultural diplomacy program that, that museums have sort of played a role in. I think in the United States, the, the thing that's significant about museums is, is the trust that they have as institutions. There is a large level of public trust in museums, and that benefits them as they conduct these, this potentially sort of um, tricky work of, of engaging in foreign affairs, international diplomacy. And, and so I think that trust really sort of sets museums apart as, as institutions that convene people, that can bring them together, that can tell complicated stories. And for the most part in our highly polarized world, museums are still very much trusted public institutions. And that's, that is to their benefit in this work. I think the other thing that's really powerful, and, and I said, you know, museums connect featured science museums and art museums and history museums and zoos and aquariums, is that just whatever, whatever lens museums come at their work from, whatever their, whatever their theme, whatever their topic, museums focus on storytelling and building empathy and creating understanding. You, you go to a museum to learn. And that's not to say, you know, certainly there is much diversity within the world of museums and, and not all museums are equal and not all museums are as equally outward facing as others. But sort of broadly speaking, museums are telling stories, they're building empathy, and they're trying to bring people to some, some greater understanding. And so, um, you know, that really makes them ideal conduits for bringing people together in these cultural diplomacy programs. Of course, the great challenge with a program like Museums Connect is also that in the United States, in Great Britain, where I'm from, uh, you know, there are very deep established museum cultures you know they are a part of people's lives kids go on field trips that's an expected part of you know what it means to be a a kid in the United States or Britain or France, but in other countries, museums don't necessarily play the same role in public life. And so that is certainly a variable that people have to sort of think about and wrestle with as they uh, as they engage in partnerships is, you know, the National Museum of Afghanistan is not a museum that means much to, to people living in Kabul. You know, that is a, it has an incredible collection of artifacts. I mean, just unbelievable collection, but that is not a, a museum that plays a role in most people's lives in Afghanistan. And so we shouldn't be naive to that fact as we, you know, in the same way that we're thinking about cultural difference between individuals and, and language differences, we should also think about these, these contextual differences and, and what museums mean to people and communities as well. Yeah, that's fascinating. And, um, you know, to stay on that point of really, there's no two museums that are identical. I mean, obviously, museums around the world are either funded differently or structured differently. They all they all vary, right? So I wonder, how does that that variance, that difference really impact uh, the Museum Connect program? And is, it, is there an effort to, to sort of combine or connect museums that are perhaps at the same level? Are there larger museums partnering with smaller ones? I wonder if you could speak to that. In my research, one of the things that came about most obviously was that 
these power dynamics, which are already so challenging when you have an American funded project and these American grant language and sort of the bureaucracy of American, you know, grant making. How do you have an equitable partnership where, where everybody is at the same table speaking with the same, you know, authority and power when perhaps one museum is highly funded and professionalized and the staff have all gone to graduate school and they have a lot of resources and the other museum, and I'm thinking about my colleagues at the BIMC Community Museum where the director is a member of the university faculty. It's not even his full-time job. It's a sort of a, a one-room museum that's an incredible asset to the community, but it's still very infant in its life stage. And so, you know, you have these real issues of equity and power that just have to be really thoughtfully navigated. And it's certainly easy to get caught up in that we've got to achieve our objectives and we need to make sure we fulfill our grant obligations. And so, you know, let's, let's steam ahead and not really have a conversation with someone who maybe has a very different cultural, you know, view of what a museum should be doing or how it should be behaving and, and how that worked could be arrived at. But on the flip side of that, you know, the case study I write about between the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute and the Apartheid Museum, that happened a little bit by accident, which is the Birmingham Museum um, started by partnering with the Mandela House, which through a whole sort of series of events ended up becoming a partnership with also the Apartheid Museum, which is a museum much more on the scale of the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute and with professional staff and with resources, but also a very similar mission, you know, different countries wrestling with racial apartheid, but nonetheless, very similar focus. And in that sense, that partnership was perhaps one of the most equal and equitable between the, the museum staff, the students involved, because both came from the same place and both were sort of coming from, you know, an equal level or an equal starting point. And so, you know, these are really the cultures, the, the infrastructure, the resources matters a lot. And, you know, you certainly have some, some examples in Museums Connective programs between organizations that had very divergent missions, but they were able to find common ground on a project that advanced them, but maybe in a little bit more of an oblique way or a sort of sideways way than some of their traditional day-to-day, -day, you know, no, quote-unquote normal work. Yeah, certainly uh, seems to be a lot of uh, fascinating, successful anecdotes as you've uh, learned in your research and your writing. I wonder if we could point to, you know, what this might do for future cultural exchange programs, sort of, you know, what can the future of cultural diplomacy and exchange learn from the Museum Connect uh, initiative? Um, it's a great question. And, you know, I think at a baseline, when you bring young people together, whether it's museums or music or dance or literature or, you know, hip hop, you name it. I mean, you know, we were talking about some of the, the programs coming out of Meridian. Anytime you're bringing young people together, especially in this global world of, of social media where it's even easier to stay connected in 2022 than it was back in 2011 when we were working in the, in the pre-Instagram world of 2011. I think when you can bring people together to be working on a common project, good things happen. People, you know, disagreements happen. People have to work through those disagreements, but, but people get humanized and people get to understand one another and spend time with one another and learn each other's customs. And you know, I think about in our project, we were sat, sat in the uh, office of the American Alliance of Museums talking about our online exhibition, having this really vigorous debate about what the graphic elements of this online site should be. And we were coming from our, you know, 
American-centric uh, viewpoint and, and the Moroccan students were coming from a very different viewpoint. And that was a really tense, challenging situation. But the act of working through that and the act of collaborating and coming to consensus was so powerful. We look back on it and I'm still in touch with our, our students, friends and our, our faculty friends and, and staff friends. And, you know, we look back on that as a moment of sort of, gosh, how tense in the moment, but how, how much that deepened our relationship. And so just the act of working on something with someone is really powerful. And I think, like I said earlier, humans want to connect and museums are places that can bring people together and, and talk about themes and topics and uh, that are sometimes challenging, but can sort of help people build those relationships. And so, you know, it's a lot less scary to, to work on a museum photo exhibit than it is to just pick up the phone and say, you know, hi, who are you? But you get you get a chance to work on something that really brings people together, but also allows you to express this creativity as well. And then I think our challenge and our opportunity as we think about sort of what can we learn from Museums Connect is how do we scale the impact of these programs? And, you know, I talked about Museums Connect came out of IPAM, which was a sort of one-to-one -one scholar exchange. And I think there's great value in programs like that. But, you know, Museums Connect started to look at sort of communities as sort of bigger groups. And so the impact was scaled up. But how do you make that more expansive? How do you make that impact even greater? And also, how do you make it sustainable as well? And I think our challenge and our opportunity with cultural diplomacy is, you know, how do we make this live past the life of a one-year collaboration or a one-year program? And in some ways, the great thing about a museum exhibition is it has that life beyond the, the program itself. So our online exhibit is is still online. You can still go see that. And, you know, and I know that's true of, of other things that my colleagues in Birmingham, Alabama are giving their tours of that museum differently because of what they learned about apartheid in South Africa. And that has shaped their interpretation. So the institutions get richer from the experience. And then that in turn shapes how they educate the, the hundreds of thousands of visitors that come through their doors every year. So certainly there's a lot to be learned from, from these programs. Yeah, and I, I do fear that some people tend to use one-off program a little too liberally because, you know, you've just said yourself, I mean, these young people who traveled overseas, they met counterparts in South Africa. These young people are impacted for the rest of their lives. I mean, they really hey, are. Hey, forever yeah. changed. I think about the students that we took from, from Kennesaw who had prior to this program, you know, they'd never met a, a Muslim person before, let alone spent time in Morocco. And I can't help but think that these people are forever changed by that experience. And similarly, you got, you know, these teenage kids from Afghanistan who, you know, were able to spend a week in Philadelphia. What a transformative experience for, for them and for the students in Philly that got to spend that week with their Afghan cohort friends. And I think that's the, the lasting impact of, of these cultural diplomacy programs, especially with young people, is changing people's view of the world. And, you know, it's pretty easy to, you know, especially especially in a country as big as the United States, you know, you don't, you don't leave, there's so much to see here. You're not always exposed to sort of the world around you, but what a way to learn and develop and experience the world than by literally going and seeing and visiting and eating meals with people and walking down the street, chatting with them. And, you know, I remember as we walked through DC where we had met our, our Moroccan student colleagues, you know, they wanted to talk about homelessness. You know, this wasn't just a rose tinted, isn't America wonderful? It was, we were walking past some folks sleeping on the street and, Let's talk about that. There's no accusation. There's no finger pointing, but it's a it's a real honest, hard conversation 
that leads to you know greater empathy and understanding and you know just more nuance and you know i think it's a good thing when you know everybody understands one another with a little bit more nuance you know in essence it, it goes far beyond the museums just connecting when you've got these people to people exchanges and i know you've led these young people through various countries likewise for us and all of our exchange programs that's where, where you see their eyes wide open and learning more things about other cultures that's the real heart of cultural diplomacy right yeah oh absolutely and you know i think you know learning to celebrate difference and learning to you know learning to celebrate and value the the diversity of the world and you know be able to be able to put a face to a name and uh, you know i even remember when we were in morocco we were doing these workshops about what we wanted to be included in the exhibit and these moroccan students were very vividly talking about sort of the role of women wearing headscarves and the difference of opinions and how that isn't a monolithic issue and we were all just sat there sort of taking notes taking it in listening to them but you know you can't help but remember that when you think about you know headscarves as an as an issue that sort of periodically pops up in the news and i know that in all of the the conversations i had and all the research I did for this book, that all of those relationships have have lasted far beyond the projects themselves. And, you know, the, the exhibition may not be hung on the wall of the museum 10 years later, but the participants are still friends on Facebook. They still exchange messages and emails. They still visit one another if they can. You can't beat that impact. It's it's transformative for people. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a one-off project to me, and I'm sure to you the same. So uh, really want to thank you for joining us on this podcast recording. I would encourage folks to learn more about the wonderful Museum Connect program. And uh, thank you again, Richard. It's been a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us today on Culture Exchange, a podcast that examines the impact of cultural diplomacy in its many forms on global relations. We'd like to thank the National Endowment for the Humanities for funding this podcast, our guests on this episode for taking the time to share their expertise, our podcast editor, Ed Bishop, and our listeners for taking the time to engage in the world of cultural diplomacy.